0: Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Uh, I think there may be a little feedback coming. Uh, if we, I don't know where that's coming from, but uh, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it is great to see you this morning. Uh, we are continuing and nearing the end of our study in the book of the Psalms. Uh, we've titled this series, The Song of the Heart, uh, Songs of the Heart. And I hope and I pray that uh, as we've spent time in the Psalms, you have found that God not only gives space, for your emotions and your feelings, but He also gives us words to speak, words to sing, when we may not even have the words to speak. Uh, The psalm that we're looking at this morning gives words to the feelings of despair and to the feelings of thanksgiving. So I'm going to ask you to stand as I read God's Word. we're looking at Psalm 130. This is God's Word to us this morning. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Isaiah 40 tells us, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's Word endures forever. Let's pray. God, I ask that You meet us now. God, that we could come open and honest to You and ask that You speak to us, that You meet us where we are. God, if we come in to this place this morning with guilt and with shame and with fear, would you meet us? If we come in this morning uh, fearing that you may not even pour out your love and grace because of the things that we have done, would you meet us? Would you show us who you are, Jesus, this morning? Would we experience, would we taste the goodness of knowing you this morning? Would you feed us from your word, the bread of heaven? Feed us. Spirit, would you work? Would you Speak and remove me, and may the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. You are our Lord, our rock, and our Redeemer. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. Well, when I was seven years old, my mom and I were driving from my grandparents' house in rural Alabama during Christmas time, and we were driving down a country road. Uh, and there was a very nasty storm. Uh, and, and the wind was, was blowing hard, pouring rain, lightning. We were both extremely scared. Uh, Mom decided that she was going to pull off the road. We'd break the storm out. And so she took a right turn, went down a little hill, and we went straight into a four-foot high pile of water, a pool of water. And water started gushing into the car started gushing in. The water was quickly rising inside the car. My mom and I were going deeper and deeper under this pool of water. And I can remember looking wide-eyed with terror at my mom as we sank deeper and deeper. I couldn't say a word. I couldn't say anything. And that picture of sinking deeper and deeper, that's the picture we have here in Psalm 130. If you've ever found yourself sinking deeper and deeper, and deeper emotionally perhaps you were in the depths of despair and you had no words to speak that is how this psalm begins out of the depths i cry the psalmist is sinking deeper and deeper in despair and then there's this cry of lament a cry in the midst of the despair again that's why i love the psalms they give us words when we can't seem to find words Life, you know this, life is not lived with continual and perpetual contentment and peace and happiness, is it? There are times when we feel like we are sinking deeper and deeper emotionally. And I am convinced that the church must not just give space for us to feel our emotions, but give words when we can't find the words. We should sing not just songs, on Sunday morning, or pray prayers, or preach sermons that are celebratory and thankful in its posture. We have to sing songs of lament and pray prayers of lament and preach sermons of lament because the world that we live in, all of our lives this morning are filled with hurt and pain and disappointment and loss and despair. And our God welcomes our cry. His ear is attentive to our cry. This psalm gives word and voice to lament and to thanksgiving. If you picked up on the movement, it moves from sinking deeper and deeper into despair to having great hope. It moves from being cast down to being lifted up. And the despair in this psalm is a despair induced by guilt. The psalmist is sinking deeper and deeper into despair because he feels guilty. And so I want to ask three questions to us this morning as we look at this psalm. Do we feel guilt first? Do you you feel guilty? Secondly, what should cause guilt? And lastly, how are we lifted out of guilt? So let's look first. Do we feel guilt? Verses 1 to 2. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the plea, to my plea for mercy. The psalmist cries out. That is a cry of guilt, of sorrow over guilt. So I ask, do we feel guilt? Do you feel guilty? Now, that, to answer that question, I've got to define guilt. Guilt is a feeling that we experience when we've done something wrong. It's pretty simple. Guilt is a feeling that we experience when we've done something wrong. Guilt is that feeling that we've all experienced growing up When our parents told us not to do something, and we did it anyway, and then we got caught, right? We felt guilty. My niece and nephew were in town a few weeks ago, uh, and they told me that when they were at my parents' house, their grandparents' house, over Thanksgiving, they snuck out of their room in the middle of the night, went to the cabinet, opened up the cabinet, pulled out some gummies, and they ate gummies. They ate candy. And then they were very quick to tell me, but Uncle Daniel, please don't tell him. (laughs) <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Now, they knew what they did was wrong. And they felt, guil- they felt guilty, which is probably why they shared it with me. They felt guilt because they knew what was right and wrong. Their parents had told them what to do, and they did not follow their parents' words. Therefore, they felt guilty. But in our culture today, the question of right and wrong is very much debated. I was watching Oprah's new television station, uh, a show called Masters. Have you seen it? Uh, It was an interview with Jay-Z. And Oprah and Jay-Z both said this during the interview, during this episode. Truth is what is true for you. Life is finding out what you think is true and then following it. That's the prevailing belief in our country that truth is defined by yourself, that whatever you think is true is true. It's a belief rooted in subjectivity rather than objectivity, which makes having a common standard slippery. Therefore, it makes guilt obsolete. Because if whatever you decide is right or wrong and that is true, then you will rarely feel like you did wrong and therefore rarely feel guilty. I could take many different examples, just looking 50 years back in our own country, uh, in our culture. Now, I, I'm not saying this to say that our culture determines right and wrong for us, but uh, we could look 50 years back in our country, and people would have, gr- have agreed on many things that were wrong and felt guilt, drugs, sex, greed, cheating. But today, many of those things, nobody feels guilty over certain things in those arenas. So I know there are people here this morning that may not even feel guilt. You don't sink deeper and deeper into despair in regards to guilt because you've set the standard of your own life, and you're going to do what you want to do, and that's true, and that's right. But I also ask this question, do you feel guilt? Because what some of you might think of as guilt is not guilt at all but rather what's been termed as toxic shame. The guilt and toxic shame are not the same. Tim Keller says the opposite of guilt is innocence and the opposite of shame is glory. Guilt is felt for breaking a rule. Shame is felt for not measuring up. See, say you cheat, cheat on a test. How many students we have left? who haven't gone home for Christmas yet, but say you cheat on a test or you cheat on your taxes or or you do something at work that you know you're not supposed to do. You break this rule that you know you're not supposed to and you feel guilty. But shame is thinking, I am. I'm a cheater. right? I am a cheater. Say you know you've heard that you should not give in to lust and you're to keep yourself pure, yet you don't follow that. And you feel guilty because you've kind of broken this command, this call to be pure. But you feel shame because you think, I am perverted. I am wrong. You see, shame ties into one's being, one's identity. This is who I am. This is what's true of me. Toxic shame is the belief about who we are. It's the belief that that I'm ugly. I'm unlovable. I'm not enough. I don't have what it takes. I am. And that will never give you freedom. Toxic shame will never lift you out of despair. It aims to keep you in despair, to keep you imprisoned to yourself. Guilt, on the other hand, is a very good thing. Guilt allows us to accept when we've done something wrong. Guilt offers us the opportunity to ask for forgiveness, whether that be from a person or from God. And in receiving forgiveness, we find intimacy and relationship. We find that that relationship grows deeper and deeper because there's honesty and openness. And in receiving that forgiveness, we ultimately find freedom. So you may be here this morning and you go, "I, I don't wrestle with guilt. I've got a clear conscience. I'm good. I'm good. But I know everyone here this morning, all of us wrestles with toxic shame. This feeling that I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. I don't have what it takes. And every one of us longs for freedom and intimacy in relationship with others and with God. And guilt is a gift that offers these things. You see, we see the psalmist move from sinking into despair in verses 1 to 2 in their, in their guilt, to then in verses 5 to 8, there's this incredible hope and thanksgiving, which brings me To my second point, what allows this movement to happen? What causes this guilt? Look at verse 3. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Who could stand? The psalmist is looking into his own heart and saying, Lord, if you dealt with me the way that I deserve, I couldn't even stand before you. I would be pronounced guilty. The book would be thrown at me. If you really dealt with me according to my sin, you would condemn me. You would cast me out. You would curse me. Another version reads, If you kept a record of my sins, O Lord. There's a record. Meaning there is an objective standard to which we are judged. God and His Word are the standard. And God is the judge. And Scripture is really, really clear. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us is guilty. And if God were to keep our record, the book would be thrown at every one of us. We are all guilty. David Brooks, who writes for the New York Times, he wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, about what makes a person who appears to have it all together on the outside all of a sudden snap and do something incredibly horrible. Someone who appears to have it all together, and then they snap and they murder someone. Or they mass murder. What, what causes this? David Brooks quotes one of his friends in the article. His friend teaches sociology at a major university. And the teacher started exploring why people on the outside who look so good are able to do these deep, dark, horrible things. And so he asked his class, the teacher did, if they would share with him some of the desires and impulses of their heart that they had never followed through on. Think if you were asked that. Would you share? Would you be honest? And the answers that he got back were shocking. One young woman in his class said she had invited her ex-boyfriend over to her apartment for the purpose of stabbing him to death. She was a sorority girl at a major university with a job she was about to enter into, life before her, and she was this close from stabbing her ex-boyfriend to death. And on and on it went, of story after story, of impulse and desires that all these students had felt. David Brooks ended this article by saying this, you know the question... It's not why these things happen when people snap and do these horrible things. It's not why these things happen. It's why they don't happen more often because the desires are often in our hearts and we just don't follow through on them. Psalm is a cry of Lord, if you were to deal with me the way the wicked desires of my heart deserve, I couldn't stand. We are all guilty way more than we even imagine we're guilty. God and His Word are the standard by which we're measured. It is how we know right and wrong. But hear me say this, that this, the Bible is not just a manual on right and wrong. It's not a a moral compass only. This is a book that offers relationship and intimacy and hope. For in our guilt, we can ask for forgiveness. And we find a God who is quick, quick to offer forgiveness. And meet us in our despair and pour out this love and grace that we desperately need. You know, the vision that this psalm paints, this vision, is a vision of a God who meets us in our guilt and extends grace and mercy. Now, all of us live in this toxic shame that I was just talking about. Sometimes we think it's guilt. You know how you can know it's toxic shame? is when you're living for a different vision than the one Psalm 130 paints. This vision of a God who meets us in our guilt and offers love and grace. Instead, you're living for a different vision. A vision that you've painted for yourself. It is a wrong vision. It's a vision that we will never achieve. And it may be a vision that your parents cast for you at a very young age that you keep trying to live up to. It may be a vision that you cast for yourself because of pain in your past and you're trying to deny the pain and live for something more. Maybe a vision that you're trying to live up to just because you want to be different than that person. So you're going to be better. You're going to be the best and you're going to try harder. You're going to be the nicest and you're going to try harder. You're going to be the most successful and you're going to try harder. You're going to be the best Christian and you're going to try harder. But the harder that you try to attain that vision that you've painted for your life, the deeper that you're going to sink into despair. The more shame you will feel because that That vision, you'll always fall short of it. You'll never measure up to it. It will always demand for you to be more and to do more. Some of you think, I I know I've thought this. We live in the Research Triangle Park, and you've thought this. You have to do something great with your life. You have to do something great with your life. You have to save the world. Why do we think that sometimes? I think we think that sometimes because we are often some of the most shame-filled people in the world as Christians. We think we have to be great. We have to achieve something great so that I am worth something. You're living with this wrong vision, this vision that we'll never achieve. It's kind of like you're drowning in the ocean. You're in the ocean and you've got this vision of dry land that you want to get to and a rescue diver jumps in to save you. Uh, And you think by kicking and helping and moving your arms, you're going to help this rescue diver pull you into this vision of dry land. But actually, the more you kick, the more you swing your arms, you know what happens, right? You do the opposite. You actually begin to take the rescue diver down under with you. That's what happens. If you are driven by the wrong vision... If you think, I've got to try harder, and I've got to try harder to reach this personal vision that you're attempting, you're going to pull others down with you. Your spouse, friends, your children will all be affected by your toxic shame. So again, the heart is what vision is driving you. Or I could say, what God are you believing in? For whatever your vision is, that's what you're serving. That's your God. Is it a certain career? Is it a certain type of family? Is it a certain reputation? Maybe it's a certain type of community. Maybe it's a certain church. certain income. To be just a nice, good Christian. Let me tell you, if any of those are your vision, you'll always be disappointed. You'll always fall short. Because we have iniquity, we have sin, and we will fail that's the truth. And if this is your God, that God will always let you know you're not enough. A God will always let you know you don't have what it takes. You're not smart enough. You're not beautiful enough. And you will continue to try to attain it and you will sink deeper and deeper into your shame. We sink deeper. We sink deeper into the shame when we have the wrong vision. It's not the God of Psalm 130. We all need a new vision this morning of a God who is a Redeemer and our God who is Savior. And we sin against this God. We break His standard all the time. But He's not a God who is removed and distant and demanding from us. Instead, He meets us in our guilt. And He offers Himself. He offers relationship. He offers intimacy, freedom, and hope. So I have to ask you, are you willing to feel your guilt? Are you willing to feel guilt? Are you willing to own your sin? Not blame it on others, but own your sin. Because if you do, it is a great gift. And in that gift, you will find a God who meets you there. Which leads me to my last point. How we're lifted out of guilt. How are we lifted out? We have to be captivated by a new vision. A true vision of God. Not the vision we paint for our lives, but a true vision of who our God is. And verse 4 says, But with you, God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. John Calvin says, You do not know God until you know Him in His grace and mercy. And you cannot know Him in His grace and mercy until you know that you need His grace and mercy. Do you know you need Him? If you do... With our God, there is forgiveness. And that is the difference between being driven by the wrong vision and being captivated by a new vision. Our God, the God of the Bible, is a God who forgives when we fall short. The other visions that we serve, these other gods that we serve, they're not forgiving. And when you fall short, you will, and these gods will, beat the mess out of you and demand more from you and you will sink deeper and deeper into your shame. But with the Lord... There's forgiveness. Until you realize, until we realize that we have the wrong vision, we're serving the wrong God, the forgiveness of our God, it won't be sweet. And you will continue to live beating the mess out of yourself, feeling shame and feeling unworthy that you don't have what it takes. But when you understand, when you understand your guilt and the forgiveness that is offered, You can see what Christ did on your behalf, how much He sacrificed for you. The chasm between God's perfection and your sin cost Jesus His life. When you understand that, you'll become awestruck with our God. You will fear Him, which means you will worship Him. See, verses 5-6 to says, As I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. This psalm and the psalmist ends in a posture of worship. The Lord is feared. He's in awe of God because of forgiveness. And here he uses the metaphor of a watchman. I don't know if you know what a watchman did. Waited and watched. That's what they did. They waited and watched. Nothing beyond waiting and watching. A watchman would be stationed upon the wall of the city to wait and to see if any enemies would try to attack the city during the night. And the watchman longed for nothing more than for morning to come, for as the sun rose on a new day, the watchman knew it's time to go home. It's time to go home and to be with my family, and it was with great anticipation anticipation that the watchman would long for the sun to rise and for a new day to come. Eager anticipation. It's like when I went to New York a few years ago to go hunting. We got out in this deer stand at like four in the morning, and it was pitch black dark. And I was just waiting for a deer to come and I could do nothing. I couldn't make the time go faster. I sat there waiting and waiting for as the sun began to rise, I began to see that it was a new day. It's like that man who stands at the front of the sanctuary waiting and waiting for the doors to open and for his bride to come down. Nothing you can do. It feels like time goes forever as you sit there and you wait, eagerly waiting. When we have a new vision, a vision of a God who forgives, a vision of a God who sacrificed His own Son to cleanse us and to remove our sin, to redeem us, that He purchased us with His life, we'll worship Him. We'll worship Him because we're going to be in a relationship of intimacy, one with honesty and vulnerability, and our God meets us there, and He forgives as far as the east is from the west. And in that place, we find freedom, we find hope. The hope and freedom that we all long for. So we wait and we put our hope, we put our trust in a God who one day he'll come back and the sin and the guilt that we all wrestle with this morning will be completely annihilated. The consequences of sin will be no more and that day will be an unhindered intimacy, the intimacy all of you long for, that even marriages cannot fulfill. And that day there will be an intimacy with our God like we've never experienced. Complete freedom like we've never known and an extravagant worship that will last for eternity. So we wait and we put our hope and we have a vision of a Redeemer who sacrificed His life for us. And when we have a vision of this Redeemer, we'll worship Him. And when we have the wrong vision, we will be filled with shame for only our Redeemer Only the Christian God paid the price. Bore the wrath of our sins on His body on that tree. By His wounds alone are we healed and reconciled. It's our iniquities that caused Him to go to the cross. And because He did, we can be forgiven. And when we worship, when we worship our Lord like this in the light of our redemption and the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, do you know what happens? Look at verses 7 to 8. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is steadfast love. If you caught that, the psalmist's response in worship is a proclamation to all of Israel. This psalm begins by a personal cry of lament. And then it ends with a cry for all of the people to hear about this God who offers forgiveness. For everyone to hope in the Lord. One of my favorite John Piper sayings Missions exist because worship does not. Missions exist because worship does not. When we are in awe, true awe, of our redemption, and we, like watchmen wait for the morning, are eagerly anticipating the return of our Lord, we'll worship. And we will exalt Jesus with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, and we will be like Ezekiel who said, His words are like a fire in my bones. I cannot hold it in. I have to speak of my God. Well, but like Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, when being told to stop talking about Jesus, they said, whether it is right or wrong for us to obey you, we cannot but speak of Jesus. Because that's what the gospel does, brothers and sisters. When we understand it, we must proclaim it. We must proclaim it. I've been thinking lately, I'm always thinking, about what we could be doing different. Uh, and what we're not doing right, probably because I'm filled with a lot of shame (laughs) and driven by the wrong vision uh, of my own life. But I've been thinking, what can we do different? What can we do more as a church, Christ Central? How, How can we see more people trust Jesus here at Christ Central? How can we have you, those who are involved, call this your home, invite people, love your neighbor, love this city, make an impact in this city? How can we do that? I've been asking that question and i have been convicted and i'm continually convicted when i realize from this psalm that the only real way the only real way genuine growth is going to happen in this church is when each of you are captivated by a new vision when each of you are captivated by a vision of your redeemer when jesus is truly so precious to you When you eagerly await like a watchman for the morning, you're caught up in your forgiveness and the grace that abounds to you. Not living for a wrong vision, but for this vision of Christ and His kingdom, you and I will worship. And missions will happen. It'll just happen. Because we will be a people who cannot help but proclaim and speak about Christ. There will be times when you you will feel like I did sitting in that car with my mom, the water is rushing in. And you feel like you're sinking deeper and deeper into into despair, and you'll feel like you have no words. Let this psalm give you your words. Cry out in your guilt and in your lament. When I had no words and the water was rushing in, my mom reached over, she yanked me out of my seat, she pulled me in her arms, swam with me through the pool of water, carried me up the hill, took me to a store where we waited for my dad. On to dry land, my mom rescued me. God's our rescuer, our redeemer, in the midst of our guilt and our sin. Would you let Him pull you out this morning? To place you on solid ground, would you feel your guilt, confess your need, and I promise you, You'll find a Redeemer who is quick to forgive and to pour out love and grace no matter what you've done. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would truly, truly help us to see who you are. That God, we could be honest. God, honest about our sin. Honest about the ways in which we've disobeyed. And Lord, if, if our impulse and desires were to be exposed before everybody, we would be so embarrassed. And God, you know them. You know the thoughts of our hearts. You know the things we've done and the things we haven't done but we've thought about doing. And and God, you say, as far as the east is from the west, if you trust me, forgiven, cleansed, a relationship with you that is full of love and grace. God, we need that this morning. Help us to put to death the old visions that we'll never live up to and meet in you a vision of a Redeemer, a relationship that satisfies our heart's deepest longings. So in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.